Fintech Australia and Tier 1 People present the 2022 People's Choice Awards. The Finney's Award, where the Australian fintech community gets to decide the winner. Make sure to join us on the 23rd of June, 2022 in Melbourne for the industry's most prestigious awards event. Now here are a few words from one of this year's finalists. Hi, I'm Caleb, the founder of Cash. We launched white label investment products for partner companies so they can offer tailored investment products to their customers without building a wealth business in-house. Cash are finalists for People's Choice Award in Emerging Fintech 2022. Caleb, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dexter. Mate, it's great to have you here. Um, gosh, I remember, what was it, three and a half, four years ago, we met at a fintech event when we used to have those things and uh, eating pizza and you were telling me about this idea that you had. So I have to say, awesome work. To, here you are as a finalist in Emerging Fintech of the Year. Thanks, Dexter. I think the, the business was a bit different back then. but um, It was very different. Yeah, very different. Yeah, absolutely. I think back then we were B2C. Um, yeah. Obviously, that's in the in the long past now. Mate, the days of the neobank. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like a lifetime ago, mm, eh? It certainly does. Well, congrats to you and everybody at Cash for making it to this year's finals. You must be stoked. Yeah, absolutely. I hear the um, uh, I see the names in the other finalists. It's been a pretty competitive year. We're stoked to even make it this far. Yeah, and look, I agree with you. I mean, the, the competition just gets tougher every year, and it's a real achievement to to get to the finals. You know, let alone win win one. So <laughs> awesome work. Um. Well, look, maybe if we could, first time on the show, um, so maybe if you could, for the benefit of our, our listeners, tell us about the big problem that cash solves. Sure. Well, I think I'll start by saying what we what we do, and then I guess the problem that we solve is a bit, a bit bigger than just what we do. I think what we do is we launch and operate white-label investment products, basically helping companies launch digital investment products into the market. Um, and that's because launching investment products is, is really hard and expensive, um, typically it takes millions of dollars and 12, 18 months to get a initial, um, MVP investment product into the market. Um, and for a lot of companies, big and small, that's just too much of a burden, um, to run themselves, uh, particularly when they haven't worked out yet, whether their product can resonate in the market, has it, has a big enough opportunity. So we launch, um, investment products for our partners at a fraction of the cost, fraction of the time, help them get in the market in a highly regulated space at a fraction of the risk. Um, so that's what, what we do, but we kind of think that the problem we're really solving is the problem that our clients solve. So our clients are launching investment products to help their customers invest. And at the end of the day, most investment products are complex and have higher barriers to entry. So they're scary. And most people just don't invest. I think you would have heard all the stats from all of the wealth um, fintechs in, in past years that say, you know, only about 1 million people trade on the ASX every year, only about one and a half million people invest in anything outside of super and real estate. And it's just a totally abysmal state of affairs. And so our clients are all seeking to offer investment products, which lower the barrier to entry and massively increase the number of people in Australia who are investing their money into equities or other products. And we make that happen for them. 
So the big problem we're solving is we're helping more people invest in products that are tailored to their demographic and their um, their life journey, their financial situation and needs, um, and we power them to get to market. Cool. So um, you know, we we said at the beginning, you know, when we first met, uh, you had a very different kind of idea um, in mind. Where did the kind of inspiration for the you know the pivot come around, and and how long has it taken you to get cash now off off the ground? Yeah, so the original business, um, for the listeners, the original business was a B2C investing app. Um, we called it cash and it was an investment product that sat on a, on a debit card. And the entire pitch of the business was real time liquidity with investment grade returns. We thought that if people could invest their money and withdraw it and it would feel liquid like cash, um, they would prefer to invest more of their money and it would take away barriers to entry. I think what we, uh, we built that for about a year and the product worked, um, as described, it was Australia's first real time liquid investment product. And we felt amazing. Um, but what we discovered was that real-time liquidity was not a big enough of a pull to get clients in at an effective cost of acquisition. And so I guess our numbers were, you know, stressed as I'm sure a lot of early stage B2C yeah. fintechs are. Um, and at around the same time, a number of other fintechs and other companies were reaching out to me personally asking like, how did you do it? How did you get the license? How did you build the tech? Um, what is the infrastructure you used? What service providers did you use? And I found myself um, advising uh, at, at more, several other fintech founders yeah. and product managers on how they can build their own investment businesses. Um, and so I was just doing that to be helpful. And it was one of those ideas that kind of came much later than it should have, but it was like, wait a minute, I've, I've built yeah. half the stuff that you need, yeah. right? And um, at the moment, my investment stack is powering my app, but like it wouldn't be that hard to just power your app as well. Um, and so that kind of brought around the idea and I went back to both of those, uh, both the, the two founders we were closest to and pitched them the idea and one of them said yes and that was um, Alex from Spriggy and now we power Spriggy Invest, awesome. they were our first client. Um, and that kind of took the pivot um, in the business that rather powering our own product, we can power a range of products um, yeah. which have different value propositions, different custom segments, um, and it kind of just grew from there. Now we've got seven retail products, um, two wholesale products live and public, and then a few more in the product development roadmap. Cool. And, you know, hopefully we'll grow and grow from there. Awesome. And so in terms of kind of number of people, you know, and, and where you're at in the journey, um, kind of funding wise, where, where's cash at? So we um, originally went, had a seed investment round of 1.2 million and that funded um, both the in initial B2C business and then most of the pivot. Um, and then last year we raised another 3 million. Well, one of the, one of the things about pivoting B2C to B2B is um, uh, B2B businesses pay you and they pay you up front. So um, like our business model is very different to what it was before. So our clients pay us every month um, their minimums or their other other fees, which means that, you know, the cash burn for a B2C business is very, very different to the cash burn of a B2B business. Um, so obviously um, we now rely on our clients to scale. Um, so we've given up some of the control um, of our growth to our clients and we trust them. But on the other hand, our cash flow is much better. So I kind of, it's just a very different business model going from B2C to B2B. Um, anyway, in terms of our um, funding, yeah, we closed our 3 million um, Series A in December um, and that has funded our growth in our team this year. Um, we're now at 18 employees and some contractors as well. 
uh, about 2022 in the full-time uh, in the full-time team. And yeah, I think that's, that's the size of the business. Cool. Um, so there's obviously growing competition, you know, in the, in the wealth space. Um, it's probably kind of the last, you know, what I'd say low hanging fruit that we've got to tackle in, in FinTech here in Oz. How have you differentiated from the competition? Uh, it's an interesting question. I, I don't think we have any direct competition in the sense that what we do, there's no direct um, competitor. Mm. Often when we pitch to startups or larger businesses, um, it's a question of build it yourself or go with us. So the existing service providers that are in the play, in the space don't provide enough for a client to launch an investment product to market um, without a significant build on top. Um, and that's obviously what the early players like like Raze and Spaceship have gone and done. But um, newcomers come to market, go, I don't need to reinvent the wheel. Um, is there someone who can just offer me the investing stack, um, you know, uh, full service stack end-to-end solution? And we're the only one who provides that. So in terms of how are we better than the competition? Well, we're, we're competing with building yourself and yeah. we're like 10% the cost, 25% the time, way lower risk. It's it's a bit of a no-brainer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome. Um, now you talked about, you know, growth and you being kind of dependent on your customers growing in order for you to grow. Um, I'm sure you experienced when you, you know, with the first iteration of cash that B2C is tough because we've got a small market here. B2B kind of is easier, but it's still tough because there's still a fairly small market, but quite a lot of competition, right? It's, well, it's not long before you will have competition. How, you know, what are your plans for future growth? You, you know, is this a, a, a solution that can kind of scale globally or are you just going to be focused on us? We certainly do have international plans, but it's not for the next 12 or 24 months. Right. I see a lot of growth in this, in this market. And just for illustration, um, where we're, we put out a micro investing report every quarter, um, which, you know, analyzes all the different players, how big each player is, um, and where the growth has been in the market. Um, there are now 2 million micro investing accounts in Australia, and that's growing at almost hundred percent year on year. Um, and we'd expect that to continue for the next few years. So I, I would suggest that the market is probably going to hit five to 10 million accounts um, within the next three to five years. Um, we would love to pick up a, a, a significant share of that through our clients. Um, so that market, I think, is big enough to support our business over the next over the next period. And then from that point onwards, how do we continue to grow? I think there is there is two ways. One, we can add you know a more diversified product offering, additional services, additional features to you know service those clients better. And the second one is obviously international. Hmm. Uh, we are currently Australia and New Zealand only, although we provide exposure to investments around the world. Um, but there are some obvious next step jurisdictions to to go into after you know the Australian and New Zealand market is is saturated. Awesome. Now, um, you know, one of the biggest challenges. Um, Sure, you're finding out, Caleb, is, uh, you know, and I think it's kind of maybe relatively easier to raise capital than this next one, which is bringing in the right talent. Um, it's such a difficult, you know, um, you know, thing to bring in people who are primed to, you know, launch and scale a fintech business. How have you gone about finding and, and hiring the right people to take, you know, help you on this journey? 
I don't know if I've got any answers for you there, Dexter. It's just hard. <laughs> that, that, is, that is the correct answer. I think this is. No, well, I don't know if it ever was, but it certainly isn't isn't easy now. Um, I'd say, look, I think we just do what we do. We have we have a process and a funnel. Obviously, you want to get that top of funnel as wide as possible so that you get good candidates in. I think we rely heavily on networks and contacts to do that. Um, I think a lot of our best hires have come through networks originally, although we obviously run pretty diversified um, top of funnel to get candidates in. Then we have our, our you know, screening processes um, and we're pretty heavy on culture and values in the screening process. I think at our stage of business, um, you know, it's not that hard to find people with the technical skills that we require. I think they're pretty well defined by this stage. Um, so these are the skill sets we require. It's harder to find the cultural fit and to make sure that that's um, consistent over a more extended period. Um, I should also say that we kind of view cultural fit a bit differently to some other companies. I think we take a, a, a two-sided approach. Uh, we find that, you know, we can express our culture and values to uh, an employee or um, a team member and say, look, this is what we expect from you. But on the other side of the coin, we also need to know that we meet their needs. Like an employee might have a need for, um, for money or for, you know, flexibility. They might have family commitments or other things like, um, autonomy or control, um, around what they do. They don't want to be just told what to do all the time. Um, alternatively, other people might want like security and stability and they want a very well-defined job. So, um, cultural fit goes both ways in our selection process and we do actively try and ensure that when we bring someone on the team, not only do they meet our needs culturally and technically, but also that we meet their needs so that they don't have a bad experience, um, you know, over the next two to four year period. Yeah. You use some terminology there, you know, kind of top of funnel, um, you know, which kind of suggests that you're taking a more of a kind of customer led approach to hiring talent rather than, you know, the traditional approach, which is sticking that up tell everybody you're hiring and then, you know, the whole world should consider themselves grateful that you're about to, you know, save them from a life of misery and deprivation by working for you. <laughs> so it's great to hear, it's great to hear that, you know, the approach that you've got is very much kind of customer and, and people centric. Well, I, I think the people we want, not necessarily browsing job ads, right? Yeah. Um, they're probably out there achieving amazing things. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so how do we go out and find them? And I think, um, like, like we have a top of funnel, middle funnel closing process. Um, and the top of funnel is critical. If we put up an ad and get 80 applicants and 10 of them are okay, you got a really small pool of people yeah. to pick from. And so, um, yeah, we need to expand the top of funnel and, and we do that, you know, we kind of take a, a, an approach of working out how do we get in front of the right candidates for each role. And it's not always the same. Yeah. I mean, hiring a fund accountant is different to hiring a developer is Absolutely. different to hiring a uh, salesperson. So we, we try and customize the top of funnel yeah. the role and then we run our, yeah. our process. Uh, look, I think it's a great approach. You know, and I like to use fishing as an analogy. You've got to go first of all, where the fish are, and then you have to bait the hook appropriately with the bait that that fish likes. Right. And if you're not doing those two things, you're not going to catch, catch anything. 
I agree. I agree. I think another thing we've just started like addressing in the business is employer brand. Yeah. Like we've, we've kind of focused on brand for clients and for sales processes, obviously since the beginning, but we're just starting to look at that employer brand going, look, um, we have culture, we have values, we have a mission, we know what we're trying to achieve and we know how we treat our team members internally. And, and we're really proud of it. How do we communicate that to the market so that, you know, we're more attractive to really good candidates. Mm. Um, yeah. So I guess that's an area of focus that we've been working on over the last little period. Awesome. Now we're coming to a, a wrap up, Caleb. This is the part where look, you get to um, speak to your peers in the fintech community and, you know, ask, you know, tell them why they should consider voting for cash. So in your own time, look, when you're ready, why should, um, cash be voted emerging fintech of the year at this year's people's choice award cash should be voted emerging fintech of the year this year because we are making a massive dent on the investment market and we have a huge opportunity to grow from here and winning this award will help us take advantage of that opportunity in the last 12 months we've grown from two products in market to now seven retail products and another few wholesale products and we're continuing to grow from here we are literally flooding the market with investment products that are tailored to different customer segments and reaching out to people who haven't had investment options available to them that suited their needs before. And I think that's an amazing mission and we've achieved a huge amount in the last period and we'll continue to progress as long as we have community support, client support, employer support, investor support. Um, we support a range of um, fintech founders to put their product in a market. I think vote for us because we are launching a wave of fintech products that the world wouldn't see if it wasn't for Cash Invest. Well, Caleb, congrats again on making the finals. Good luck to everybody um, on the night as well. And mate, amazing work. Well done. Awesome. Thanks, Dexter. The People's Choice Award is brought to you by Tier 1 People, leaders in fintech executive search. We'll help you launch, scale, and innovate by finding world-class people. 